All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, uh, part one of a mega SEC basketball conversation with Locked On Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless. Uh, we've had Painter on the show before. Uh, we've talked uh, basketball, football. Uh, this specific conversation is based around basketball, and uh, we are splitting it into two parts. Because we did talk quite a bit uh, about SEC basketball and specifically uh, looking ahead to next season and how some of these teams could look uh, based on the NBA draft process and uh, just based on recruiting and other players uh, that are coming back. So this will be uh, the first part, and in it we discuss uh, the NBA G League and how that is going to impact uh, not just you know the SEC but college basketball in general. We talked about that on a previous episode of the podcast. Um, and so we talk a bit about that and uh, look ahead at some of the teams that could really, you know, be right there near the top. And uh, we are always talking about Kentucky and how they are going to reload. But this is sort of a different situation, uh, possibly, for John Calipari in terms of the players that he's going to have coming back, uh, which, uh, as we know, not many. And uh, this could be a unique situation. But we talked about about that, uh, as well as one of the underrated aspects uh, when it comes to, to John Calipari and his tenure there at Kentucky, plus Tennessee, uh, and why the Vols could be uh, the SEC's best team next season in college basketball, uh, and uh, what they have coming back, what they're bringing in, uh, plus uh, some thoughts on Alabama and how uh, they are starting to move forward uh, under Nate Oates uh, and uh, what they can do uh, to continue to make a climb there in the SEC and why uh, the Crimson Tide should be a team uh, that is constantly finishing in the top half of the SEC and what they need to do. Uh, to get there. But uh, great conversation, uh, as always, with Painter. And as we said, uh, lots more to come in part two uh, of a conversation uh, on Friday's episode of the podcast. But let's go ahead and jump into part one of the SEC basketball conversation with Locked on Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless. Sweet. Right now, I am joined by Blake Lovell, who, for the Ole Miss fans listening right now, I think you've become quite familiar with Blake and his voice, and certainly the uh, the folks in Auburn have become acquainted with Blake. You can hear Blake with the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, with the Locked On SEC Podcast. Got a question for you. What do you make of, because in the past on this podcast, we've had you on to talk football, and that may come up, but I want to go, I want to go basketball here. What do you make of this new G League business that college coaches are having to contend with? I think immediately everyone just, I think, rushed to overreact. Not really surprised by this venture from the NBA and, and how they've decided to go about it. Um, I think that it's something where it's one thing for Jalen Green to be getting paid up to $500,000. I think it's another thing for you know the number 150th player in the recruiting rankings to get paid $500,000. Like, that's just... I think that's what we have to keep in mind is this is going to be a very small percentage of players that are probably going to go this G League path um, because they are basically creating it for those types of players. They're not creating it for the guys, um, you know, that are going to be later down, you know, in that recruiting rankings and all that. Like they're every person is not going to have the opportunity to, to earn this type of money. And so I think for everyone that overreacted and said that this was the end of college basketball, I think that's pretty silly because uh, there are still going to be thousands of players and go play college basketball, and it's been that way all the time. I mean, we can even paint or go back to, you know, LeBron. LeBron didn't mm-hmm. go to college. Kobe didn't go to college. Uh, KG didn't go to college. Like, just go down the list, and 
college basketball is still going. So, like, I think just because some of these top guys may go this route, um, I just don't think it's a, a huge deal, to be honest with you. And, yes, it's going to force the NCAA to make some changes, but uh, I just don't think it's that big of a significant deal to where you're going to have a large percentage of players uh, going this route. The way I look at it, Blake, there are there has been a definite pushback from the NCAA and what they view as the student-athlete and, of course, all the reasons that they just cannot pay players. And um, you can consider it a bad-faith argument. I do. On the other hand, I kind of feel like they got what they wanted here, maybe to the detriment of the NCAA. It may not be. Do you think five or ten years down the road this will be good for the sport because you might have more players staying for two or three years instead of these really talented players that are kind of on the fringe of being NBA players, but you know they want to go to college because they're perhaps not quite NBA ready. I think this is exactly what path the G League has created for those guys. Like there, there are not very many of the players you referenced earlier: LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, who are truly ready from day one to practice and play with an, an NBA team. So they'll get a version of that in this situation. But at least I think it's tampered down a bit with the G League. Yeah, and look, I've always been someone that thought that the one-and-done rule is just completely absurd. Like, I don't understand the reason uh, for forcing, you know, a, a kid to come play college basketball for one year. Uh, it just It's very silly because it's like, well, it's like, well, you know, you've got to go to college, you got to get your education. Well, how many players are earning their full, you know, four-year education in one year? Like, come on, let's not act like uh, that's actually happening. So uh, I, I've always thought the, the rule was ridiculous, and I think this – for one thing, is going to push that rule to just be done with uh, because there's no sense in it anymore. And and like you said, I think it is going to force the NCAA to, to make some changes here and to make a decision. Maybe that's the more uh, specific way to put it. I don't know exactly what the change is going to be. Uh, they've danced around you know, paying players of some sort, any sort of compensation, allowing them to have those opportunities. I think this continues those discussions for sure. Um, and, and I still, you know, you mentioned the guys who are probably still going to be going to college two or three years. And a lot of people have talked about the baseball model and all that. And, and could it work in basketball? I think there, there are pros and cons to that. Um, but you know, if you look at it, I think no matter what, you have to give these kids the opportunity straight out of high school to go straight into this NBA program if they want to, uh, which is clearly, you know, the push that they're doing now with, with what they've set up for the G league, uh, pathway, but, you know, overall, it's just something where if you do go to college, then what does it come down to? You know, are you forced to stay a certain amount of time and all that? You know, I think that's where it gets tricky, too. So uh, it's not as easy, probably, as some people try to make it out to be, as though there's just some uh, big decision that either the NBA or the NCAA can make that would just completely make everything simple. I don't think you're ever going to have that situation. Uh, but I do think that there are ways to keep pushing it on both sides to where it's more ideal uh, for everyone involved. But it does make, you know, if you're a coach, it does make recruiting a little more difficult, uh, especially uh, if you're going after these top players. And then ultimately, you know, for like an Auburn or a Memphis, the, the, the two teams that were specifically going after Jalen Green, uh, it makes it more interesting in terms of, uh, you know, not knowing if they, they wind up uh, going that way. Blake, what has been, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, so if you need me to stall, oh. I can do that. What's been the <laughs> most interesting thing that has happened since the end of the college basketball season? To paint a picture, remember this was about the time some conference tournaments 
had already wrapped up for, for the conference that we cover with the Locked On Podcast Network. It was just getting going. Auburn, for instance, was practicing that morning, like with masks, and they were walking around with gloves on. So the Rudy Gobert thing had happened, and people were suddenly, it felt like the average household in America within 36 hours had started taking this story and, and this pandemic much more seriously than really any other time before. So what's been the thing since that time that has grabbed your attention for good or bad reasons? Yeah, I think it's uh, probably looking ahead to to what things could look like, not just in college basketball, but I think in college sports in general. Um, and obviously there, there's a lot you know in play here in terms of what the options could be. Uh, we've discussed it before on the previous podcast we've done, but I think it's just to where, you know, uh, it's so hard right now, I think, for anyone to try to make these these declarations that this sport is going to play uh, in the fall or in the winter. Um, you know, I, I just think it's we're not there yet. Like we do, we can't make that declaration. And I think it makes it a lot harder, you know, especially let's say you are, you know, we, we've already talked about the football aspect of it. Let's say you're a basketball team specifically. Um, and you know, what, what if the, you know, the season doesn't start until let's say next year sometime, let's say they were to start in January. Now, obviously we're playing hypotheticals here and there's no way of knowing, uh, if that would happen or, or if there would be any change to it. But I think that's the most fascinating part is that if you're a basketball team, you know, already looking ahead, you're putting together your rosters, um, and this whole NBA draft process too, that's thrown a big, uh, wrinkle in it because you know these guys are going into the process and and some of these guys we don't know what they're ultimately going to decide because we don't know what that NBA draft process is specifically going to look like they've outlined some of the changes but uh, I think that's made it a lot tougher too for coaches so maybe that's the biggest thing is you know this is one time transfer rule too everybody can throw that in the mix uh, there's been lots of fascinating elements like that uh, that could really change the way, you know, not only college basketball is going to be played moving forward, uh, college football and everything else, just uh, basically, you know, based on how everything plays out with this whole deal. So Ole Miss fans that are listening or fans of Blake's who are listening to this right now, bear with us as we talk about a school that you all love to hate, <laughs> and that is Kentucky, because they're in an interesting spot, Blake. All five of Kentucky's starters from this season have declared for the draft uh, yeah. The most interesting one, too, E.J. Montgomery, which I believe makes their sixth person to leave the program, was a peculiar decision. It wasn't a big surprise that he declared, but he averaged six points a game and five rebounds. Uh, I, I just don't think his draft prospects are all that great. But that aside, like I'm not E.J. Montgomery, and I don't know what's going on in his life. <laughs> most players for Kentucky will wind up, at least that left, with some kind of professional career. What do you make of, of the job Calipari has? Because it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, that's brutal. You just lost a huge, I mean, pretty much all of your production from last year. On the other hand, I don't feel bad for him because all you have to do is Google search their current recruiting class. And it's like, all right, well, it's going to be okay. I don't view them as a true national title contender, though, even with the talent they're going to bring in this year. Where do you have Kentucky through what I view as just a strange circumstance when you've got an entire group of players like this off to play professionally. I'll start by saying this, and and I don't know if we talked about it before, but I, I think this is one of the more underrated aspects 
when it comes when it comes to John Calipari in Kentucky. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does every single year because I think there are too many people that say, well, just look at, you know, I, I roll the ball out there. You've got the top, you know, five of the top 15 players or whatever. Every single season, I could win 30 games with that. Like, that's just, that's not true. Like, I think that's one of the things that gets overlooked <laughs> is that it's not that easy. And, it, and it, honestly, in some cases, I think it makes it even tougher. Well, when the you expectations have, are ridiculous every yeah, year. Absolutely. And trying to make everyone happy, um, you know, and we've seen guys transfer out of Kentucky in recent years. And, and that's understandable because that's what it comes down to is trying to make everyone happy who went from being, you know, averaging 25 a game in high school the next year or months after that uh, to having to play a role where maybe they're only scoring five points a game. That's not easy to do. And so I think that's something that gets overlooked with what they're able to do every single season. I think it makes the, the job he does, uh, you know, even more impressive to me. Uh, but I'm with you on that. This is a different sort of situation. And yes, Kentucky loses a lot every year, but like they're basically losing everything uh, this going into next season. And EJ Montgomery, I thought, was a bit of a surprising one to me. Not surprised that Emmanuel quickly ultimately decided he was another one people thought could come back. But I mean, look, when he was a you know SEC Player of the Year type player, um, you, you have to go you know probably get your money now because uh, your stock's probably not going to be as high as it is right now. Uh, but it's the same with these classes too. Like we can look at the star rankings and all that, and and I think really there's only been I mean, aside from, let's be honest, like aside from the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, like that group and, and Anthony Davis when he was there. But, you know, I think the only other group that comes to mind for me that felt like just a sure thing um, was that group uh, a couple years ago that, that had De'Aaron Fox, uh, Malik Monk, uh, those guys, uh, Bam Adebayo. Like, I thought they were going to be really, really good. But like, even with this group, you look at it and it's like, What's the difference between, you know, this group and the previous year's group in terms of the recruiting class? And I don't know. And I think that's what it comes down to is just seeing how the chemistry comes together. That's always the discussion we're going to have every single year early on in the non-conference play is how is Kentucky's chemistry come together. Mm -hmm. But no matter what, you can probably always bank on them finding a way to hit their stride by February. Uh, and that's when they get dangerous. So outside of Kentucky, is there a team that we need to talk about here in April, Blake, uh, as we start gearing up anyway for the NBA draft? All the talk right now is on the NFL draft because Thursday of this week, depending on when you're listening to this, we'll get that going. But the NBA draft, not that far off. Um, yeah. What do you think about teams that are not named Kentucky? I think that right now um, I would maybe even lean towards, and I'm not going to say it over Kentucky yet, but I'm, I'm pretty close. I think Tennessee could be the best team in the SEC next season um, because they bring back the defensive player of the year in Epons. They bring back John Fulkerson, who looked like an all-SEC player. Um, they bring back Josiah Jordan James, you know, a former five-star recruit who who had his ups and downs as a freshman. But uh, you know, we they making that freshman to sophomore jump. I think he's going to be able to do that just fine. And then they bring in a top five recruiting class to the mix, and they added a, a grad transfer that averaged a double double last year. Um, you know, so I think Tennessee has the pieces to to be back at the top of the SEC. Now I don't know if they're going to be where they were a couple years ago as the number one team in the country or anything like that. But right now. Uh, I'd probably be hard pressed to find 15 teams nationally that at least on paper 
look to be potentially as good as Tennessee. Um, and it may take them a little while too. And, and, you know, they may not look like it right away uh, because they do have, you know, this, they're going to rely on some youth because they, they have some stars in that freshman class. But I think they're so good that having like Pons, having Fulkerson, uh, that leadership for guys like that who have been around that program for several years and learned from Grant Williams and Schofield and, uh, you know, Jordan Bowden and all these other guys that have been there, I think Tennessee is going to be very good. I think they could be a Final Four contender. Um, I think you could, and I, I want to say the same thing about Florida. But, man, I have gotten to the point with Florida where as talented as they are on paper and getting Keontae Johnson back is huge. I just it's so hard to trust them. And I don't know that I'm there yet with Florida. The two teams I would keep an eye on in terms of rising up, probably the biggest uh, would be Arkansas and Alabama. I think both of them, uh, you know, Arkansas has got an elite recruiting class. I know Alabama's losing Kyra Lewis, but, uh, you know, you add Javon Quinterly to the mix, plus a top 15 type of Recruiting class, transfers, Jordan Bruner coming in. Uh, I think Alabama and Arkansas, probably the two teams that, that are, you know, I don't necessarily think it would be surprises, but I think they're going to make the biggest jump uh, from where they were a season ago. I'm with you, and I need to correct myself. It, it was five players uh, who left Kentucky, their starting unit of Ashton Hagens, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey, front court players Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery, the reserve wing Johnny Juzang, who transferred, is yep. the other player who I was thinking of. Let's go the, to to Alabama then, because man, I'm I'm all in on what is happening in Tuscaloosa with Nate Oates, and I don't know how you feel, but I think that he's going to be not just a thorn in the side of a bunch of coaches, but like they're going to be a top four or five team in the conference in the next couple of years. Here's the way I look at it: one, the entire league made a concerted effort over the last five years to spend more resources and put more emphasis on their basketball programs. I think Mm -hmm. some schools probably realized they missed a window there where it was basically Kentucky and Florida more or less for 20 years or or the only teams that are nationally relevant consistently. Well, now there's a bunch of teams that realize that that's a possibility. Auburn's gotten in there. Tennessee, who you just mentioned, certainly has been there as well. But Alabama has not, it seems, committed all that hard to basketball and I think that they have done that more so since the Avery Johnson hire, the Anthony Grant one. It's looking weird because of the success he's had at Dayton, albeit Obi yep. Toppin certainly factors into that. And he sort of, uh, I think for Grant, lucked into that situation. But, man, I, I really, if I'm another coach, what Nate Oates is doing right now and Alabama, when they commit to something athletically, it's usually a problem <laughs> for other schools. Yeah, and that's the thing with all these SEC programs like everybody's got the money to do what you need to do to you know improve all your resources and and all that and and i mean look coleman coliseum that renovation is i think a big step forward for them like that's that could be something that that is maybe and i know it's not under the radar for alabama fans because they've been wanting it for a while but you know if you just look at it from a, a standpoint of the conference i mean look we talk about old miss i mean look at like how significant was it for old miss to to have the pavilion now like it's it's such a huge part of the recruiting aspect and and obviously you know it's not right now because of the circumstances we're all in but it's something where you know when you have those updated facilities you've got all that uh, that's just as important sometimes as as what you're doing you know with recruiting and everything especially if you know you have someone in place uh, that you're already confident in we've already seen what nato is able to do uh, he's bringing in talent and i know right away you know the expectations were last season 
I think Alabama fans are so hungry to take that next step that with the roster they had this past season, I was one of the ones too. I thought that going in, you know, if you just compare their rosters, I thought they were a top 25 type of team in the preseason. Like if you just looked at the roster, but uh, you know, some guys work out, some guys don't when they get into a new system, but I think he's getting the guys in there now. And I think you're specifically going to see it in this recruiting class to where they are going to play his style and his style is so hard to prepare for. And it's so unique to where I think that's something too, that gives them an advantage in the sec is, you know, Auburn plays fast, right? I mean, Auburn's one of those teams that that's kind of defined that up-tempo style in the sec. I think South Carolina, Georgia, those types of teams have played a lot faster than, than people give them credit for. Um, you know, Arkansas probably going to get there under must too. And there are other teams that play fast, but if this is a different level, I think, with how Alabama is going to play under Nate Oates, you know, while he's there. And so I just when you add all that together, I mean, there's there's no reason Alabama shouldn't be, quite frankly, you know, a top five to top seven SEC team every single season. I just think that they've they're, they're not in a spot anymore to where they can just rely on saying, OK, we're going to be consistent, but we're only going to be consistent by winning 18, 19 games a year and not getting up to that 22 to 25 range every single season because they have the resources. They have the coach in place that, that's already recruiting well. Uh, there are so many things that they can do well. And I think it's just a matter of you have to win the games, though, and they have to take that next step. Uh, but I think that this next season is going to be kind of that launching pad for them to do that. All right, that was the conversation with Locked on Ole Miss host Painter Sharpless. And uh, as I teased earlier, uh, we'll have part two of this conversation on Friday's episode of the podcast uh, with a lot lot more thoughts uh, on some of the teams around the league and uh, how we could see uh, things play out next season. But uh, be sure to subscribe. Head over any podcast app you use. Just search for Locked on SEC. And uh, for everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at TheBlakeLevel. And as we talked about, uh, the NBA draft, if you are looking for some coverage of the NBA draft and excited about that uh, and seeing where some of these players in the SEC land, uh, just tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board for great NBA draft coverage. But uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Lockdown SEC Podcast, part of Lockdown Podcast Network. <laughs>